Good morning, everyone. Uh, as Jake said, welcome to the second Sunday of Advent. Uh, so glad that you are all here as I turned on. Yes, I'm on. Okay, great. Uh, I thought I got it, but I've forgotten the last few weeks, so I'm starting to doubt myself. Suddenly, every week I walk up here. Um, if I've not had a chance to meet you, my name is Aaron Bird, a lead pastor for Riverwood. And when I was in middle school, I discovered that I resided in the lower echelon of the social system of my school. Uh, maybe it was because my first name was a girl's, E-R-I-N. Maybe it's because my last name rhymed with nerd and turd. Maybe it was because, yeah, yeah, yeah. And when they discovered that the word urine had an E and an R and an I and an N in it, yeah, I became urine turd. Um, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's because I had glasses. There were a lot of reasons why I was considered on the outside of the most popular group of kids in the school. That's why it was so shocking when I got the note. A girl who was part of the kind of popular crowd sent me a note saying, I like you. Do you like me? Now, before that moment, I didn't really like her. But with an opportunity to see my social standing rise, I suddenly thought she was really, really cute. I discovered feelings I didn't know I had. And so it was near Valentine's Day. So I got a Valentine's card. And on it were two bunnies sitting in the snow. And they were cuddled next to each other. And I wrote her name next to one, and my name next to the other. And I slipped it into her locker. Unfortunately, her locker mate found it first, proceeded to show it to all of their friends, who then ruthlessly teased her for liking a little nerd like me. And so therefore, I received word from a friend that she actually doesn't like me after all, and she stopped ceasing to be cute to me as well. But nothing like having your heart absolutely shattered and being reminded that, yeah, you don't quite measure up. You're not good enough. Your status still resides down here. You see, in fifth grade, I needed every opportunity I could to try to rise that social ladder. Because I sure wasn't going to rise it on the athletic field on the recess playground. I, I sure wasn't getting it in the classroom because I got good grades. And it turned out in 1983, good grades were not cool. And I was literally overlooked because I was one of the shortest kids in my class. I, in the eyes of my peers, I did not matter. And so I felt like an outsider. I felt like the outcast. I felt like I did not have meaning. And so if 10-year-old Aaron, Aaron could have just had that girlfriend, maybe that would have changed a few things for him. But what I've been discovering the older I get is that it isn't just nerdy little 10-year-olds who want some sort of social status. It's pretty much humans. All of us long to, to have people notice us, to respect us, to like us. Because if that happens, then we achieve some sort of status. We, we feel like we have some meaning in our life. That's why we go about trying to get into a certain school or get a certain degree. We long to get that certain job or make a certain amount of money. We try to associate ourselves with certain people or through the, the types of music or movies or the clothes that we wear. We, we try to use all these things so that other people would see us and go, yeah, he or she, they're, they're all right. 
They're good. They're up here, and they're not like those outsiders, those outcasts. Now, sometimes we, we actually succeed. Sometimes we, we get into a place where we're liked, we're respected. I mean, we walk in the room and people are like, hey, you know, like we know our social status is up there and we have meaning. But then something changes. Either we get a different job, we graduate, we move, our friends move away. And suddenly some moment happens where we're around a group of people that they don't know us, they don't know our likes, they don't know our dislikes, and they keep us on the outside and we feel like our social standing has just dropped. And we begin to question once again the meaning of our lives. Today we're going to see inside the Christmas story a group of people who were on the outside. They were the outcasts. They were on the low end of the social totem pole. But what we're going to discover through the story is that while their society and their culture may have thought very low of them, God's attitude and perspective of them is completely different. God is crazy about them. He loves them. And what I'm hoping happens today is that as you hear about God's love for them, you'll realize God's love for you, and you'll suddenly realize it doesn't matter what social status you have on this earth, that what matters is how God sees you, and that will make all the difference in the world. So before we jump into the scriptures and see today's story, let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we gather today on December 5th, 2021, to hear from you. Lord, we've already sang to you. Here we are talking to you in prayer. We're about to turn to the scriptures and later we'll be remembering the the, uh, cross and, and resurrection of Jesus. And yet, Lord, we all bring in various things. Some of us were excited to be here. Some of us are here because this is just what we do on Sundays. Some of us are here, but we're carrying heavy burdens. We're worried about someone who, in our family who's going through something difficult, whether health or financial or relationally. We're bringing in our own baggage, stuff going on at work or stuff going on at school, stuff even going on inside our homes or just even inside our hearts. God, I can't even begin to think that I have what it takes to speak to all of those people. So God, I need you to do what only you can do. You can speak into the hearts and minds because you love these people so deeply and passionately and I want them to know it. So God, I pray that you'd work beyond me and my weakness and that you would do what only you can do to touch our hearts and our minds that we'd walk out of here realizing just how much you love us and that we get to then carry that love and share it with others. So God, do today what you need to do for your glory and for our joy. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you brought a Bible, I invite you to open it up to Luke chapter 2. Luke 2. Last week we were in Luke 2. We did verses 1 through 7 looking at the story of Mary and Joseph. Uh, By looking at their story, what we saw was that they had a lot of very difficult things happening around them. And yet they had this amazing peace. They, They were actually very content And and so what we carried away in week one of Advent was that we can have hope when we trust God, that no matter what is happening around us, he can supply us with a peace that surpasses understanding. We can be content. Well, today we pick it up right where we left off. We're going to pick it up in verse eight. So please let me read aloud verses eight through 20 of Luke two. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, 
and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from, uh, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Today we're focusing on these shepherds. Uh, some of you have been around church, Christianity, enough to hear that shepherds are the outcasts. And that was true, sort of. You see, some shepherds had actually accumulated very, very large flocks, and with that came tremendous wealth. Well, in their day and age, wealth was a sign of God's blessing, so therefore they would be some of the most respected men of the community. But when you are a wealthy shepherd, you don't want to be the one to have to go spend the night out in the fields with the flocks, where you just have to sleep under the stars, you rock as your pillow, maybe uh, you know, you're going to get rained on, the temperature's going to get really cold. And so what you do is you hire other people to work for you. Those are the shepherds that have the bad reputation. They're the ones who had to not only endure the, the you know, all, being up all night long, trying to protect the sheep from any predators, having to throw their, their lives on the line. They, they were the ones who maybe if thieves came in the middle of the night, you know, they were the ones to get robbed. Like, they're the ones that, that kind of got the bad reputation. Because first of all, they could not keep up on all of the ceremonious laws that Jews were supposed to keep up on. They're, they're out in the fields, so they, they weren't in town. And so they were often ceremonially unclean which meant they couldn't just show up at the temple to worship. They were supposed to go through all of these things in order to become clean again. But oftentimes those ways to get clean were to be separated from people or from other things, and they're just off in the fields again. So they could never really go through the process of getting clean, so therefore they became more and more distant from their culture because it was a religious-based culture. Also, because many of them were poor, they felt like maybe they weren't getting paid enough. So some shepherds began to steal. They were thieves. And so that right there began to add to their reputation. And people didn't trust shepherds, didn't like them. But also some of these guys ended up in the situation they were in because either they weren't good, reliable workers for other fields or they were kind of the socially awkward, the loners. And so they preferred to be out with the sheep because there was no one out there to make fun of them. And so the stereotype built on what the shepherds were, and it created this mindset that you didn't want to be around them. They were weird, they were smelly, and they hung out with sheep. That is why it is so surprising 
that God decides to make the very first people who hear news about the coming Messiah, he chooses to be shepherds. The, uh, when a uh, head of state shows up in a foreign country, usually you roll out the red carpet, all of your dignitaries, your, your best, your brightest, show up to welcome them. Here's, though, the king of kings showing up on earth, and it isn't Herod that gets the phone call. It's not the Jewish high priest who got the invitation in the mail. There aren't messengers going to the Caesar saying, hey, the king of kings has been born in the Roman Empire. No, it's shepherds. They're the ones who get the invitation to welcome the king. This tells me three things about God's view of the lowly, of the outcasts. What this shows me is that God delights to invite the lowly, that God delights to, uh, 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 oh, what's my next point? To identify with the lowly, and then God also uh, delights to exalt the lowly. All right, so let's talk about each of these. First, God delights to invite the lowly. In verse 9, we have an angel appear to these shepherds. I would imagine, you know, it's, it's dark outside. They, they didn't have electricity, so there was no light pollution really going on, maybe except a small campfire that they had. So that meant they could see the stars. They just pop out of the sky. It's maybe a, a calm, chill night. It, it's so quiet. It's just, you know, the bleeding of sheep, maybe a slight rustling of the wind through the grass. When all of a sudden this angel appears, and it says that the glory of the Lord shone around them so suddenly in the dark pierces this bright light so i'd imagine you've got to like shield your eyes and you're looking and what in the world is that and all of a sudden it talks it's imagine it's standing up on a hill there's several shepherds scattered about and its voice resonates across the valley and they all hear it and it says do not fear for god has sent his messiah to be born in Bethlehem. And here's how you'll recognize him. He's wrapped in rags and he's laid in a feeding trough. And then as soon as the angel is done saying this, suddenly a whole host of angels appear. And this choir, now it does not say sing, but I like the idea that they were singing. And they sing glory to God in the highest, peace to men on earth. And then all of a sudden, they're gone. You realize God just pulled out all the stops. Like not only just an angel that shows up to announce that it's coming Messiah, but a whole host shows up and there's bright lights. I mean, it's a party. And he throws the party for shepherds. Come on, you're invited to come and meet the one that's long been prophesied. God delights to invite the lowly. We see this in Matthew 22 when Jesus tells a parable about a king. The king has a son, the prince, who's going to get married. And so the invitations go out. He's the king, so the best of the best get invited. But when the servants go out and extend the invitation, people are too busy. Got to go check out a new field or, you know, they got to go do this. And, and no one has time for the king's son's wedding. So the servants come back and report this. The king's like, well, I've got all this food prepared. I want to have a party. So go into the streets and invite the lowly, the outcast, the homeless, the poor, the unemployed, the uneducated. Bring them in. We're going to party because my son is getting married. God delights in inviting the lowly. 
Second, God also delights in identifying with the lowly. God delights to identify with the lowly. In uh, the Old Testament, we see God identify with the shepherds. Uh, He has King David write in the famous psalm, Psalm 23, that the Lord is my shepherd. And that theme not only carries through the Old Testament, it even carries on into the New Testament. In John 10, Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. And in fact, we've been studying the book of Mark, and and we saw in the book of Mark, I think it's back in chapter 6, that there was a, a point where Jesus pulls up at the shore, and there's all these people, and it says that he saw the people like sheep without a shepherd. And so he takes the time to care for them. Why does God like this image for himself, even though it's associated with the lowly? Because a good shepherd puts the needs of the sheep before his own. I mean, the, the view of the sunset might be better from the south side of the hill, but if the grass is better on the north side, that's where he's taking the sheep. Or bigger, if suddenly a predator shows up, he's got to throw his life in front. Those sheep are their lifeline. That's money. You don't just let it get thrown out. And so he throws his life on the line to protect the sheep. That is exactly what Jesus did through the cross. Jesus is the only human to have ever lived who'd never sinned. So therefore, he did not need to pay the penalty of sin, which was death. He's the only person who did not need to die for their sin. And yet, he went to the cross to die in our place. He put our needs before his own. He didn't need to die. We did. And yet, like a good shepherd, he steps in the way and saves us from our sin. So God delights to invite the lowly, but he also delights to identify with the lowly. And then third, God delights to exalt the lowly. God delights to exalt the lowly. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to a church in a city known as Philippi. In there, he starts talking about this idea of humility. Uh, It turns out there were some contentious relationships there. And so he wants them to work through it. And so he's like, hey, the way you're going to work through these quarrels and fights that you're having is humility. You got to put the needs of others before yourself. And Paul thinks of the perfect example. He thinks of Jesus. This is Philippians 2, 5 through 9. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now he goes on to describe Jesus, the perfect example of humility. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So Jesus is God the Son. He's part of the Trinity, but he doesn't hold on to his power. He doesn't grasp it and lord it over the people. Instead, it says he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In other words, Jesus takes the low road. He's not insulted at all with identifying with the lowly. I mean, here is the king of kings, the creator of all things, and he is willingly and gladly taking on human form, entering into the sin-stained world And even going to death on a cross. So now notice what God does with the lowly. Verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And Paul goes on to say that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he is Lord. Jesus takes the absolute lowest road possible, identifies with the lowly more than we could ever imagine, 
And so therefore, God exalts him to the absolute highest place. We see this in a sense with the shepherds. Here they are, the social outcasts. They're they're the ones who don't matter. They're the lowly. And they have to take the low road. Working nights, caring for sheep, being outcasts to to their, their religious society. And yet God delights to bring them to welcome the Messiah, and he exalts them to the highest place. He doesn't let the already exalted, the, the Caesars, the, the Herods, the, the high priest, he lets the lowest have this great moment. He exalts them. And we notice their response, that they realize this exaltation in, in how they respond. If you look in verses 18 and, and 20, in verse 20, you see that they're praising God, they're rejoicing. In verse 18, they can't help but tell people, Think about it. They had the craziest moment anyone could ever experience. And what do they do? They start telling people about it. They're the social outcasts. I'm sure people are looking at them going, what were they drinking last night? Like, they're, they're man, being alone in the fields with those sheep clearly made these guys crazy. They think they saw an angel. Whatever. Like, th- this is the kind of behavior that it's going to get memes made about you and you're going to be made fun of on the internet. They don't care. Because they just met the Messiah, an angel told them about it. It was exactly as it said. So they have to tell everyone because God has exalted them. Suddenly they realize their social status in the eyes of the world does not matter. They realize they matter to God, and that makes all the difference. So now suddenly they're rejoicing in God, and they don't care what anyone else thinks of them. Because God chose to take the lowly and exalt them. And in that moment, I think these guys suddenly felt like they had more meaning than they ever had. Some of these guys had never been able to find a job. Some of these guys, they'd held this job for a long time, but they were poor. They live out in the fields with sheep. They're the ostracized, the outcast, the outsider. And now suddenly God says, no, I invite you. Come into my kingdom. Come meet my Messiah because I identify with you. I'm willing to come down to this earth, take on human flesh, put on rags, be laid in a feeding trough to be born to a poor couple who aren't that much different than you. Because then I will delight in taking the lowest of the low, the shepherds, the Marys, the Josephs, and exalting them to the highest place, coming into my kingdom and knowing me and my goodness and my grace. So God delights to invite, to identify with, and to exalt the lowly. Now, in our world, when we think of the lowly, we think of the homeless man out on the streets. We think of the widow who's barely able to afford, you know, food each month. We think of those with maybe some mental handicaps and and, and difficulties in school. The, the people who can't seem to get a job or hold a job. The, those who struggle with mental health issues. In, in our minds, those are the lowly. But I need you to know today that you are part of the lowly. You see, I don't care if you live in a huge, wonderful house. I don't care if you have an absolute amazing job, if you're at the pinnacle of your position. I don't care if your bank account is, is overflowing I don't care what kind of car you drive. I don't care what kind of clothes you wear. I don't care if your family like, should be on the cover of a magazine with your perfect Christmas tree behind you. You're still part of the lowly. Because that is what the gospel teaches us. There, there's two sides to the gospel. 
the first half says, you're far more sinful than you realize. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. Break that apart for a second. First half, all have sinned. That means from the highest of presidents to the lowest of shepherds. It suddenly is flat at the ground of the cross. All have sinned. We all need Jesus. Doesn't care how smart you are, how rich you are, or how poor you are, or how dumb you are. We all need Jesus. We are dead in our sin. All have sinned. Then it goes on to say, all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. When you fall short of God's standard, you're on the low end of the totem pole. God's at the top. He's perfect. He's holy. The rest of us, we reside at the bottom. So spiritually, we are at the low. But remember, God delights to invite, to identify with, and to exalt. That is why Jesus came to identify with the lowly, to take that low road, and to give his life for us so that he might then spiritually exalt us. That leads us to the second half of the gospel. Because you see, the first half says, you're far more sinful than you realize, but the second half says, but you're also far more loved than you could ever imagine. When you were born, God's image was in you. That image, though, was twisted, was distorted. And rather than be like Jesus, you, you just wanted to live for self. You hear it in the baby's cry when it's just, give me food, give me mom, give me warmth, give me comfort. And that selfishness continues on through life. And yet Jesus came down to die for our selfishness, to redeem us from it, so that he could repair his image within us, so that we could then go and love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. In other words, to be exalted. So that is why during Advent, I have to encourage you, Not to go and look for your meaning in the things of this world. Don't try to find your meaning and status in your degree, in your job, in your friends and connections, in the way you're able to make jokes on social media and everyone thinks you're so cool. Because all of that stuff will fade. Instead, find your meaning in Jesus. Seek him. Because when you look at Christ... You see how much he loves you, gave himself for you, and then it will lead you to rejoice, to praise God. And you're suddenly going to be like the shepherds, and you're not going to be able to keep it to yourself. You're going to share it with others, and you won't care if they turn you into an internet meme. Because the God of the world loves you, created you, and calls you. He invites you to follow him. He identifies with you. And he wants to exalt you. So seek meaning by seeking Jesus. This Advent. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to move this beyond just uh, a bunch of words that I've just said and make it a true reality inside of our hearts. I pray, Father, that you would do in us what you need to do, that we would realize that we are the lowly. There is nothing we can do to, to improve our social standing with you. But yet, God, you did everything for us. While we couldn't save ourselves and pay for our own sin, you, Jesus, did it for us. So help us to to respond like the shepherds, to rejoice in this gospel truth, to to find ourselves praising you, giving you all the glory, and, and even going about sharing this news. Lord, I pray for the person who's here 
who's, who's feeling broken, they're feeling like the low. That maybe the world thinks they're doing great or maybe the world's the one who's beaten them down. And that they would realize right now how much you love them. And you are not turned off at all that they're part of the low, that they're part of the ostracized, that they're, that they're sick with sin. Instead, Jesus, you rush to them because you love them and you have something so much different and better for them. So God, I pray that right now they would surrender themselves to you. They would confess their sin and they would let you become their Lord because they realize that you, Jesus, left your throne in heaven to come down taking on human flesh but living that sinless life we couldn't live and yet go and dying the sinner's death that we should have died. And Father, as they confess their sin, help them now to put their faith fully in you that this today would be their spiritual birthday and they would begin to find true meaning, not trying to find meaning in their relationships or in their job or in their, their past and story, that instead right now they would find their meaning, their identity, their complete status in you. God, would you do this for them? Open their eyes. Do this for your glory and do this for their joy. May today be their shepherd day that they would get to walk out of here rejoicing and praising you because you, Jesus, love them so much. You came for them, and now they want to live for you. God, for those that have already put their faith in you, may you continue to humble us so that we don't try to make this life about ourselves, that we don't hear what other people say and, and get too puffed up or too torn down, that instead we'd realize that in your hands, in your eyes, in your mind, we have value, we have worth, so much so that you, Jesus, died for us. And by doing this, we find our meaning, our purpose, our status in you. So God, do in us what you need to do for your glory and our joy. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.